Captain Pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Those are the words of Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. I memorized those many, many years ago. I found them fascinating. God's words were intended to be eaten. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In fact, the psalmist and also David said, I have esteemed your words, the words of your mouth, more than my necessary food. So there are two kinds of food that the Bible talks about. There is the food that we chew and eat, and then there are the words of God, which are likened unto eternal bread. On the other hand, Jesus himself is called the word of God, and he called himself the bread of life. How are we to understand all of this talk about food and eating? Is it just a metaphor? Is it something that we should take heed to? How are we to understand that? Then the Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. And he that hath no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Wow. So Jesus said, I am the living water. He is the water. He said that we should be drinking of the water of life freely. So water is obviously important, as is food. Yet the Bible continually talks about food as meat. Is he talking about chicken? Is he talking about beef? Is he talking about pork? Is he talking about rattlesnake meat or crocodile meat? What's he talking about here? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking with our special friend and guest, Amanda Powell, concerning her book, Bible. What does God have to say about food? Well, apparently God has something to say, maybe an awful lot to say about food, because he created it. And he created it for a purpose, and he created it for other beings that he created, especially humankind, those made in his image. So, today on Viewpoint, we welcome Amanda Powell to the program, Viewpoint Food in the Bible. Amanda, how is it that you, as a civil engineer, can write about food in the Bible? (laughs) Well, that's a long story. I guess (laughs) it is. I'll try to keep it short. So this journey began uh, for me because of my own personal health challenge. Now, Mm -hmm. I had been uh, in the Air Force, that's where I met my husband, and I served with the civil engineers there. Um, my, my education was in environmental engineering because I was fascinated with um, the environment and mm. cleaning up the environment, mm-hmm. and that is uh, something that we have to deal with in this era, um, and it's affecting us quite a bit, more than most people know, but... 
as I began to um, have children, I had some health challenges that uh, caused me to look to the Lord, and He spoke to me very clearly uh, when I was crying out to Him, and He said, you don't have to be afraid of being sick if you follow me. And that was the beginning of my investigation into this topic. Um, I came from a family of uh, that had some, you know, hereditary issues. Some, some um, depression ran in the family mm-hmm. line, and um, when it hit me, I, you know, it, it kind of came on me suddenly. And I had previously just been fine, you know. I I had known the Lord for many years, and um, He had healed me miraculously at various times of different short-term illnesses. And mm-hmm. I I just was surprised at how suddenly it came and how I wasn't able to shake it. Well, hmm. the Lord, I, I prayed, and... Now, wait a minute. Did He say that you should run out and get a bottle of Xanax? <laughs> no, in fact, my my prayer to him, because I had uh, loved ones that had experienced this, and I had observed what had happened when they chose to use um, the recommended drugs mm-hmm. and how uh, there were personality changes, and it didn't really seem to fix the root of the problem. Hmm. And um, so I knew that that was not the way to go, but I didn't know what to do. And um, I just prayed to God, and I said, uh, Lord, I know you've healed me before, so uh, you can, you're either going to heal me in a miracle, or you're going to show me what to do, but I'm not going to take that drug. You mean to tell so, me that God would be interested in giving us wisdom and insight with regard to what we eat, what we don't eat, uh, what we drink, what we don't drink, or is that just legalism? No, it's it's very applicable. Uh, you know, in fact, if you read the Proverbs and you look at the description of wisdom, mm-hmm. there's two women that are given as an object lesson, as a picture. Right. And they're both serving food. And they're serving different kinds of food. And it's an allegory uh, for many facets of life, but at the bare bones of it, um, you know, we can take it into the practical and, you know, look at God's Word because He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, you know, through the knowledge of Him. So He's given us every practical uh, wisdom that we need to function physically, spiritually, emotionally, and sometimes we hyper-spiritualize the Word, but there's quite a bit of practical knowledge that we can glean from his commandments. All right, so your book actually uh, is vastly informational, but uh, more than that, you believe it's transformational in that uh, the information leads to changes in our life, in our lifestyle, our behavior, and so on, that can bring about healing and restoration uh, in our bodies. Uh, is that what... Uh, the Bible means what it says in Psalm 10720. He, he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from our destructions. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. In fact, if you um, if you look at the the word um, in the Psalms that refers to that, before it says they uh, their soul drew near to death and they abhorred all manner of food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he sent his word and he healed them. Well, how did it heal them? Because they received it by putting it into practice. All because right. So they, that's what we want to do here. Uh, here on Viewpoint, we're always talking about information that has to lead to transformation. Otherwise, it leads to frustration, stagnation, and sometimes termination. So we're going to present the information. Amanda is loaded with it. Uh, she is a student of this and many things. And uh, I trust that as we chat together today, that somebody out there is going to be ministered to and their life is going to change accordingly. Stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The Bible tells us that whether we eat or drink, we're to do all to the glory of God. Have you ever thought about eating to the glory of God or drinking to the glory of God? What would you eat and what would you drink to bring glory to God? And when would you do it? Maybe there's a lot more to this than meets the eye or our common understanding since we all uh, come together at the table One of the reasons why the body of Christ comes together is to break bread together. Isn't that what the disciples did? Whenever Jesus had a a, a difficult issue to deal with with his disciples, guess what you find him doing? Breaking bread with them. If we break bread together, we break barriers together. On the other hand, man cannot live by bread alone. So how are we to understand All of this language about food and drink in the Bible. Our guest today, Amanda Powell, says in her book that God has instructions about food from Genesis to Revelation. In other words, food, in one sense, binds the whole Bible together. There's an understanding that we can gather that has import for our lives even at this moment. So I want to make the book available to you for $20. You're going to get the book, Food in the Bible, in your hands. What does God have to say about food? And it's not just what the Bible has to say informationally about food, but the implication from the application that would bring transformation in our lives. The book is available on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. Now, in the beginning, Genesis 129, Amanda, you quote God saying... 
Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now, that's the King James Version, meat. Actually, that means food, so why does it say meat? Well, you know, if you um, if you look at that term, it's all-encompassing for that which is to be eaten. So um, there are there's flesh foods um, mm-hmm. that are approved in Leviticus, um, and also plant foods. But in when referring to food, uh, that word is used in the King James. All right, so. If you look back in the book of Genesis, you find that uh, not only did God provide food for humankind, for mankind, uh, but also for the animals, and it was the herb that was given for food for both man and animal. Why do you think that was? Do you have any idea? Well, God had created... um Every tree uh, that was good for food, every herb of the field to be food for man, and uh, every green herb he also gave for the beasts of the field because he wanted to bless them. He had, when Adam and Eve were created, he made the garden for them. So he handpicked this wonderful, diverse, lush garden that he put in place for their blessing. Are you saying then that uh, if you eat bless, uh, if you eat meat, God didn't provide it for blessing, only vegetables? No, actually, if we look ahead in the scriptures, um, we're given not just allowance to eat animals, but also... um, as part of the Levitical commands, it describes that people should, you know, annually be partaking of a Passover meal, and uh, that was a lamb. So it wasn't optional. It was it was a feast that was set up to be observed. And so, um, you know, we don't know for sure, but we see after the flood of Noah that he had given him extra clean or told him to bring extra clean animals mm-hmm. aboard the ark um, so that he could sacrifice to God, but also so that he could sustain himself. If you can imagine what would have happened if he got off the boat and there wasn't much vegetation, it would have been pretty hard to survive. Well, that's true. But before Noah's ark, before Noah built the ark, the flood came... Uh, do we have any indication in the Bible that humankind ate meat? Actually ate uh, meat as we understand the word meat. Well, you know, in the in the beginning, before they left the garden, before the fall, uh, we don't see that. But we do know that after they left the garden, um, Abel was a, he, he tended sheep. Mm-hmm. He had flocks. Um you know, that's unusual that you would have flocks just to have them. <laughs> well, we also know that uh, uh, 
his brother went out to uh, hunt. He went out to hunt venison, and he was to bring back the venison that uh, his father loved. So apparently they were eating meat at that time, at the time mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. Yes, and of course, even Abraham served uh, meat and bread to angels. Well, that's true, he did. So where do you think the line was drawn or the opportunity was opened then to humankind to begin to eat actual, the flesh of animals, when originally it was just uh, herbs and vegetables? Well, we see it actually uh, when the Lord spoke to Noah. Mm-hmm. And he said uh, in, in Genesis eight twenty. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm told to bring these extra clean animals. So, he knew what they were, either through oral tradition, or God told him that there was a distinction of these animals. And then the Lord said to him in Genesis 9, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Mm-hmm. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, as the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every brother will I require the life of man. So he gave them um, the permission to eat animals, but not the blood. Okay. Isn't it interesting that in the pagan world, blood is considered almost a necessity or a delicacy, even the drinking of blood. So it seems that that differentiates uh, much of the pagan thinking and life uh, from that of God-fearing people. Why do you think that is? Is it because the scripture says that the life is in the blood? Yes. Um, and I think also, you know, Christ is our life, and, and we're to look to God as our source. Mm-hmm. Um, many of these uh, cultures and, um, you know, unfortunately, many occult practices, they they use it because they know that there is, a certain power or energy to that um, because they're stealing life. They're taking life. And um, and so uh, they're not looking to God as their source of life. All right. Now, when we look at uh, the book of uh, Leviticus, for instance, the Bible gives some very explicit instructions concerning what the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, were to eat or not to eat as the chosen people. And it appears that one of the reasons why he gave that instruction was because he wanted them, because they were chosen, to be an example to the rest of the world, the uh, heathen or the pagan world, to show what would happen if they truly followed God in every respect, that they would be the healthiest, the wisest people uh, on the planet. So why is it that today we look upon those uh, instructions or even restrictions that were given in the book of Leviticus as onerous, unfair, and legalistic? 
Well, it's it's probably because of uh, what we've been accustomed to. Mm. So I, I grew up in the South, and I grew up on, you know, salted pork, uh-huh. fried oysters. Swine's meat, okay. Pulled pork. That's, that's the message, isn't it? Pulled pork. <laughs> so, and, you know, it has a high fat content. It right. tastes good, but... Um, it's, you know, if that's what you are conditioned to, if that's what you grow up eating, and that's your normal, then when you see, wait a minute, um, well, maybe God has something to say about it. It's considered unclean. Um, you know, it's just hard. It's, <laughs> our, fre- our flesh is corrupt, and our flesh has corrupt desires. So... Our job is to align ourselves with the Word of God and then align our flesh accordingly. Um, but it's easier to just stay with what you're accustomed to and what's normal. Well, it's interesting. You know, you know a lot of people uh, are hunters, and they love to go out and find uh, deer meat, venison. Uh, they think it's a delicacy. I personally, and neither does my wife, find it to be particularly attractive. Uh, many people, particularly in the East, lo- I, we're talking about the Middle East and so on, love lamb. My son-in-law loves lamb. I don't care for it that much. Uh, and one day we were served with moose uh, on an air flight, a Scandinavian air flight, and none of us liked that very much. So these are some of the meats that God said, okay, this is something you can eat. However, it seemed to me that uh, beef and chicken were far more desirable. So is this just a matter of uh, personal predilection and taste buds, or is there anything of, uh, of significance to the fact that, for instance, dogs are prohibited to eat, cats are prohibited, uh, uh, rabbits are prohibited, horses, camels, bears, all of these squirrels, they're prohibited, and yet hunters use many of them, even Christians. How do we understand this? Well, you know, if you look carefully at the distinction between the clean and the unclean animals in the Scripture, the ones that were considered unclean were those that were... Um, they would they were either carnivorous. They would either eat other animals, mm-hmm. or um, they were designed. If you observe them in nature, they're scavengers. They would eat dead things, mm, uh, vultures, would, eagles, mm-hmm. hawks. We don't do much with those, do we? Hopefully not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't hear of anybody bragging about ingesting a hawk lately. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they, these animals were designed to be God's cleanup crew, and they clean up dead animals, um, you know, uh, or they eat sick and injured animals. So mm-hmm. um, they, they weren't intended to be food. They were intended to be the trash crew. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's a pretty good distinction, it seems to me. Uh, and if we really understood that and agreed with God's viewpoint on that, 
it might make a health difference. I'll tell you, one of the things my wife and I discovered, I didn't grow up eating eating uh, things like uh, shrimp and oysters and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's partly because we didn't have any money, uh, and they're pretty expensive. But after we got married, my wife and I decided to try out some shrimp. And it was pretty good. Pretty good. But what happened was interesting. My wife started developing gastronomical problems. Mm-hmm. And so did I to a lesser degree. We came to the conclusion that this must be one of the main reasons why God prohibited eating those scavengers of the seafloor. Mm-hmm. Why is it that Christians then are so prone to ignore those restrictions? Does it make any difference in our health? I want you to think about that when we get back from this break. Friends, we're talking with Amanda Powell concerning her book, Food in the Bible. And by the way, we're just scratching the surface. We're going to talk about a lot of other things other than the restrictions in the Bible. We really are. It's on our website, saveus.org. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section. God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, A Letter to Pastors, The Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking with Amanda Powell, author of the book, Food in the Bible. What does God have to say about food? And I have a question for you all before Amanda jumps in again. How many of you are interested in creepy things? Creepy things. You might say, well, that gives me the creeps. People give you the creeps. Other situations give you the creeps. But did you know that God prohibited eating creepy things? That's right. Anything that creeps, whether they be fowls or other kinds, rodents, reptiles, other creeping things, he said, are creepy. In fact, they're more than creepy. They're an abomination to him, he said. Hmm. I wonder, maybe God knew what he was talking about. After all, he was the creator, wasn't he? Or was he? If we don't believe that he was the creator and we just evolved, maybe none of these things matter anyway. But maybe we might just figure it out because our health might suffer if we don't. Amanda, are you able to follow up on what proceeded before the the break? Yes. Um, you know, I think one of the... I think there's confusion in the body of Christ pertaining to this subject, the scripture says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge mm-hmm. because they have forgotten the law of your God, of their God. So, um, 
you know, there's doctrinal confusion as to the role of the law and its place today. And um, we hear Jesus himself saying in Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I come not to destroy them, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments of these commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. For whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Then the Apostle Paul says, though, uh, the kingdom of God is not in meat or drink, but in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So tie those together. Right. So, you know, yeah, the, the, I think there's another verse that says, um, for meat does not destroy the work of God. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, our, our salvation is based off of Christ's accomplishments. He, our right, we do not earn righteousness by the works of the law. Is We're not justified by the works of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but, once we receive salvation, we, as we apply the law in the way that Christ modeled, mm-hmm. we begin to experience and reap and uh, and demonstrate the fruits of righteousness. So the law teaches us the way in which we are to walk so that we will experience God's abundant life. But it has to be done with the motive and the the way that Christ modeled. Okay, so we want to, we realize that uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to glorify God in our bodies. If we're intending to glorify God in our bodies, we're going to be very careful about ingesting things that God warned about, aren't we? Right. And, you know, there's, so many other uh, weightier matters uh-huh. uh, that involved in in glorifying God in your body, serving others, uh, putting your uh, your own interests uh, secondary, and, right. and not engaging um, in fornication, adultery, yeah. and those kinds of things. Yeah, right. But this is this is one facet of it, and um, people ignore it um, to their own peril because. You know, we are exposed already to so many toxins in our world, um, and because we're not living in a place that actually adheres to God's commandments, we're exposed to all sorts of uh, unclean things. So our bodies take a toll, and um, if we don't exercise wisdom and treat them right and fuel them the way that God designed them to be fueled, then we are going to find ourselves running out of energy at the very least, Mm. or worse, with chronic ailments and disease that really prevent us from fulfilling God's will and purpose in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote, I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's a tough one to understand. Since he was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, 
and therefore was trained in understanding the Torah, the uh, limitations that God had given, the instruction concerning eating, and so on. Is he really saying that, uh, do you think he's really saying that now uh, you're a Christian, so you're free to eat anything you want, no matter what God might have said about it? So, you know, this is, yes, this is an, uh, a very important question. It sure, it sure is, because it goes to the very motivation of the heart, and uh, very big arguments have transpired over this, even whole denominational divisions. Absolutely. Um, if you, this is not a new argument either. I mean, when uh, in Acts, when the body of Christ was first being established, um, there was controversy over whether you know the Gentiles coming in had to be circumcised or or uh, keep keep you know the commandments mm-hmm. and the. Um, after much discussion, uh, Paul, they, they said that they were to, um, it wasn't a requirement for coming into faith to keep the commandments, but uh, that they were, at the very least, to avoid a number of things. Mm-hmm. One was um, uh, blood. fornication, blood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, things strangled. And offered to idols. idols. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so um, these were at the very least of things that they were expected to, you know, keep themselves from in order to be in the family of God, because those things w- were involved in idolatry. So if you if you haven't decided whether you're going to serve the Lord or not, uh, you know, you, you're not. You shouldn't be in the family, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so those were at the very least uh, things that they were to avoid. But he he said something that interesting. He said, you know, for the law is taught every Sabbath, and I don't have the verse right in front of me, but mm-hmm. um, you know, he said it was assumed that the law uh, would be preached in the synagogues, and that they would hear it, and they would grow according mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. So the assumption was um, they they weren't prevented from coming in to the church, coming into the household of God, mm-hmm. uh, bef- you know, before they got their lives all cleaned up, you know. But the assumption was that they would attend a place where the law of God was being taught, the Torah was being taught, mm-hmm. and in that process, they would be learning the ways of God and what's clean and, you know, just the way that God designed things. So, All right, well, you have a chapter called Free to Eat, Wise to Choose. And it sounds like uh, in that title that you're saying, okay, like what the Apostle Paul said, uh, everything is... Uh, is okay if it's if it's eaten and offered to God with thanksgiving. So you'll have people, uh, I've heard pastors, I was out to lunch or meal with, a, with pastors, and they would order things that were directly contradicted by Scripture. And uh, so then they would pray over it. And so I asked one, I said, now, 
If God prohibited you from eating shellfish, then why are you doing that and then praying over it as if, are you saying that God's going to remove all of the things, the scavenger problems that he warned about, he's going to remove that because you prayed over it? How do you respond to that? I think that it's it's just a lack of wisdom. Okay. Um, So when you say wise to choose, what you're saying is for the Christian then, the issue is not nearly so much is what does God prohibit, but it's now why did God do that, and for what reason are you choosing to do otherwise? Are you in rebellion? Are you use Are you choosing wisely to bring glory to God? Is that is that kind of the the gist of what you're saying? Yes, that's that's right. And you know, there's some confusion. Uh, among members of the church about this subject because of the vision that Peter received in Acts 10.20. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And um, that's an interesting one. I mean, if you look deeper at that, you will... There's a number of things that are ignored um, about that. The first being, Peter, when he had the vision... He said, Lord, I, no unclean has ever touched my lips. No, mm-hmm. Nothing unclean has touched my lips. Right. So his first response was, wait a minute. I, you know, I'm not going to eat unclean things, God. That's against your law. And mm-hmm. I remember Jesus said, don't think I came to abolish the law. So his response should tell us something. Then when he recounts the vision, he recounts it with the interpretation that he was instructed to not call any man common or unclean that God had cleansed. In other words, it was more of a a vision of a metaphor rather than actually changing God's uh, viewpoint uh, concerning foods that are appropriate to eat. Yes, because, you know, there's there's also a verse in Corinthians that says to touch not the unclean thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the law of first usage in the Bible. Uh, The word unclean, first used in Leviticus 5, specifically pertaining to unclean food. All right. We'll get back to that right after this break. Food in the Bible, what does God have to say about food? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. It's 
always a pleasure to be able to join you here on Viewpoint to talk about the issues of our time, things that matter to us, and, of course, what we eat matters because we're told you are what you eat. In other words, your physical being is a reflection of what you've been eating, not just what you're eating today or yesterday, but what you've been eating for the last 10, 15, 20 years. See, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so these are patterns of life that uh, our guest today, Amanda Powell, is actually referring to or talking about and urging us to seriously consider or reconsider what what we eat, what we drink, what we do, and how it's going to best glorify God in these bodies, which are the temples of the Holy Spirit. I think it's, when I first saw this book, I told Amanda, I said, I love the table of contents. Oftentimes, I can look at a table of contents and basically tell what the entire book is about. And as I look at this table of contents, it's so well thought out. And uh, it's not provocative. It's not designed to be provocative. It's time to designed to be evocative of of a response, a godly response on the issue of food and drink and what the Bible has to say and how we apply it and process it. For instance, in uh, an entire section is called Wisdom from the Scriptures Pertaining to Food and Drink. Here are the subtitles. Plant foods, wine and alcoholic beverages, bread, oil, meat and other animal foods, meat sacrificed to idols, milk and other daily foods, uh, dairy foods, sweets, salt. In other words, these are very practical things that uh, may be determined, determining the health of those of us who are listening or even speaking here on the program today. I, I want to treat my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I really do. I want to glorify God, not only with my attitude and behavior, but specifically applied to my body. So I do a nominal amount of exercise. I have a certain weight program that I do, and it doesn't take me a long time to do it because I'm not going to turn this into an idol. And I don't think that Amanda Powell, our guest today, is wanting to turn food or drink into an idolatrous kind of thing to where we substitute what we eat as the focus for Christ himself. That's not on your mind, is it, Amanda? No, not at all. My heart is that... Um the body of Christ would prosper and be in health even as their soul prospers. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a, a, a scripture. That is God's will. You know, um, when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, mm-hmm. none of them were feeble. And it said he sent his word and he healed them. The first word that they got were instructions pertaining to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, that was... Uh, some dietary ordinances that they were to follow. So, you know, we think of we, we think of these things as we overlook them, the simplicity and just the basicness of them. We just simply right. overlook them and go further. We're not talking than, about rituals. We're not talking about establishing rituals here, are we? No, no, not at all. 
Um, you know, the, it says in the word that, you know, all things are lawful, mm-hmm. but not all things are expedient or profitable pro- or beneficial. Right. And Paul said, I, I will not be brought under the control of anything. Um, he, he said he beat his body and made it work for him, mm-hmm. you know. So, kept it under uh, submission, right. Yeah, kept it mm-hmm. under submission and um, so that he was not brought into, you know, control by anything, addiction or um, laziness or, or anything that would stop him from the prize. Or overeating or undereating. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Uh, one of the things that uh, I have noticed in following uh, many different Christian sites and uh, commentaries over the past several years is that there is an increasing focus on wine and alcoholic beverages. Asking the question, is this appropriate? Is this wise? Uh, And one of the things we're noticing is that all over the country, among professing Christian young people, uh, say from age 40 and under, there is a rapid growth of participation in uh, wine and alcoholic beverages that otherwise uh, they did not impart in. Why do you think that's happening? Well, you know, it is a numbing. The the scripture says, give strong drink to him who's perishing, Uh, basically, so they forget their troubles. You Mm -hmm. know, uh, that's, that's obviously people are suffering. So they're using it as somewhat of a sedative then. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what we have to be very self-aware of when uh, there are no prohibitions Mm -hmm. against wine or even strong drink. That's true. um, In the scripture. But we have to discern what's going on and why are we using it? Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? Are we using it to numb pain? Are we using it uh, because of emotional issues? Um, are we trying to escape something or escape responsibility? Or are we trying to respond that, to peer pressure? Right, right. And um, you know, if you look at all the examples in the scripture of the people who uh, used wine in excess. Mm-hmm. Nothing good ever happened. I mean, Noah, and then you have that episode with his grandson, mm-hmm. um, the curse, and Canaan, and then, um, yeah, so you, every example of using alcohol in excess um, brought disastrous results. And it essentially, you, you can see in the Proverbs, it, it opens you up to unclean spirits. Yeah. And just like any any drug would, um, so that's something to be aware of. Some people they act completely out of character when they've had alcohol. What is that? Because it numbs your you know the front part of your brain is responsible mm-hmm. for your judgment, um, exercising impulse control. Uh, your will is operated through that front part of your brain. How well, many young ladies have become pregnant out of wedlock because of alcohol? Oh, yeah. No, it's just, it's really sad. So, 
there's there's also uh, you know as we've gotten more modern and we've uh, used more distilling equipment. We have more technology. Mm-hmm. The the wine of today is is probably much more concentrated, uh, much harder alcohol content. Um, although, not necessarily. It just depends on the aging of it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is a direct toxin to the liver as well. So it it also uh, a recent article came out within the last thirty days, uh, Doctor saying it is proven that just a small amount of alcohol begins to deteriorate your brain, uh, uh, kill the brain cells. So obviously it's not something we want to indulge in. Uh, You and I are not saying that uh, there's a biblical prohibition uh, or that we're going to look down our minds, our eyes at uh, our noses at uh, someone who uh, drinks wine with a meal. Uh, but this is something that we need to be very careful about if we want to bring glory to God. Uh, yeah, we just our... need to be on guard to be sober-minded. We're called to be sober-minded. Exactly. So That's a good way to put having, it. Yeah, I mean, if you enjoy a glass of wine with a meal, there, there's nothing in God's Word that says you can't do that. Right. Um, it's, but is it affecting your thought life? Is it affecting your um, your discipline and mm. your... Um, is it drawing you away? Right. That's the question. All right. Uh, vegetarianism, plant food versus uh, meat. Uh, some people say, well, if you're really a good Christian, you're going to be a vegetarian because absolutely didn't the Bible first set out that God intended people to eat herbs or vegetables uh, and didn't ordain meat. So there are some who say, well, the allowance for meat was a curse, and that's why people began to uh, uh, diminish their lifespan. Uh, what say you? Uh, I don't believe so, because, you know, Jesus himself ate meat. He he had to eat the Passover at the very right. least, and we see him doing that. We know and, he ate um, fish as well. Right, and he even said, you know, in giving an analogy to the Holy Spirit, he used this object lesson, if your child asks you for... Uh, a a fish, would you give him a, a serpent? Uh, if he asked for mm-hmm. an egg, would you give him a scorpion? He was using it as an analogy to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but but he said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So a fish was a good gift, an egg was a good gift. So <clears throat> these animal foods were good. They're good for children. And there is a, a movement, and there's, I believe, uh, a reason spiritually behind it for veganism. And if we look at First Timothy four one through three, we see it says, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils." speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be mm-hmm. received with thanksgiving right. of them. Believing Isn't truth. that so, interesting? Yes. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, if you study the nutrition element, um, there's a lot of benefits to going on a plant-based diet, especially if you're dealing with a, a, a health issue. Um 
But in the long term, if you don't have any animal products in your diet, you can experience deficiencies. Um, I know Hallelujah Acres recommended a vegan diet and had some success, but they did find that after a certain duration, their health ministers were deficient in B12. Mm-hmm. B12 is only, you can only get it from animal food sources. Exactly. So, so uh, meat provides something that the veggies don't, no matter what they say. They say, well, you can get it from beans. No, you can't get it from beans. Uh, and, you know, in our family, our expanded family, we've dealt with so many of these different issues over the past, say, 30 years. And we've mm-hmm. processed a lot of this thinking. And uh, we've come to the position, moderation in all things. Moderation yeah. in all things. Now, my yeah. wife and I, uh, are we, we don't drink alcoholic beverages, never have, and never intend to. We have no reason to. Uh, it's just not a thing for us. Uh, we're not going to come against somebody that does. Uh, but it's all about the motivation of the heart. Why am yeah. I doing this? Uh, God is Absolutely. every bit as concerned about what you're permitted to do as opposed to what is best for you to do. So you think about it, you process it. And one of the things that I noticed here uh, in your book is your outlook is not uh, like, what does the Bible prohibit? And let's get all wound up by what, what the Bible prohibits. Your, your uh, view on this, Amanda, it seems to me is, how can we best live the healthiest life we can as ordained by God to bring him glory? Yes, I mean he has given us all things to enjoy. If you if you look at the beginning, you know, every tree, there was only one tree yeah. that they were to avoid. Yeah. And you know, he's a God of abundance and blessing. And if we if we let the enemy talk us into Oh, he just gave us these commandments to to restrict our fun or to restrict our life. Um, yeah. That is the biggest lie that yeah. there could be. Well, that's true. Okay. And Amanda, I want to make sure before we wrap up here, uh, how people can get your book, Food in the Bible, friends. $20 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. It's a great book. Amanda has done a tremendous gift to the Bible uh, body of Christ here with this book. I think it will be helpful to you and perhaps maybe even redirect and save your life. What does God have to say about food? $20 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. At $5 for postage and handling, you're writing a check. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 